Hi, and welcome to the Burning Ones podcast. Our desire is to see people all around the world burn for one name, Jesus. We pray that you experience the love and power of Him through this journey. Thank you for joining us, and may burning witnesses arise. We're just going to jump head first right into it. Uh, Again, John chapter 18 and John chapter 19. John chapter 18 and John chapter 19, and specifically, we are going to consider the moment of trial, which presents Jesus standing before Pilate. Um, And dependent upon how you choose to consider the scenario that is unfolding, there are some particular things that I would like to highlight that we find in this story. Jesus is the one that is presumed to be on trial, um, yet it is Pilate that is actually being tried. Jesus has chosen to lay his life down, delighting when considering the will of his Father. Um, For I delight to do your will. He has stated clearly. He has issued the announcement time and time again, and then actually beautifully reconciled it with the way that he lives. I did not come to do my own will, but the, hill, the, the will of him who sent me. He says, for my father has given me power, power. Jesus is the man that has been deemed worthy to wield all of God's power. For it delighted him to put the fullness of himself into Christ. Uh, We know that Paul communicates this in Colossians chapter 1. And Jesus wields all of God's power. And he doesn't just wield it, but he wields it well. And the suffering servant, because he has chosen to go to the lowest place, has been exalted into and unto the highest place. He has laid his life down. He has chosen to lay his life down, to wield all of God's power in a way that was considered well. It was authorized. It was endorsed. Remember this Jesus, Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost, whom God endorsed in your midst. Um, As we are considering um, what looks like, at least looks like, the end of a long political fiasco Um, a messy political cycle. Um, We established last week that we are living in great days of deception. And if you don't actually have a sensitivity to the voice of the Lord, you are going to get caught up. Uh, We live in Florida, which means that we are surrounded by water, which means we have access to the beach. And something that is Uh, Well known here is that at times you go out and when you are desiring to get into the water, there's something that they call the undertow. And if you're not careful, you begin to wade out in this childlike excitement and then the undertow catches you and it catches you from underneath and it drags you out. Um, And if you don't actually have a sensitivity to be able to discern the voice of the Lord for yourself, um, possibly you have already gotten gripped and taken out by the undertow, meaning the ferocious wave that culture has been attempting to release time and time again. Um, The agenda through the variety of expressions of media that we have 
at our fingertips. Um, If you do not have a sensitivity to the voice of the Lord and also being able to discern when someone is saying that they are speaking for the Lord when they actually are and when they are not. Um, Because herein we find more complications that we don't necessarily have time to get into because that's not the point of emphasis for today. But the point is this. Uh, We are living in a moment where there is great deception. Um, There is a blanket of darkness and deception that has been uh, swept over our nation. And through deception, people are being seduced. Um, And we are being seduced into a bunch of conversations and a bunch of activities. And if we are not aware of what is actually happening, then we will end up engaging and possibly even uh, fighting for or establishing matters of provision that may seem right, but they are not righteous. And there is a difference. Uh, And we will get to that because we are going to consider Jesus standing before Pilate. uh, And then we are going to link this, if we could, into Matthew chapter 4, where Jesus is not standing before Pilate, but he is standing before the enemy himself. And Jesus is standing before Pilate. And we'll pick it up in chapter 18. Um, Let's start with verse 33. He says to Jesus, "Um, Therefore Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, Are you saying this on your own initiative? Or did others tell you about me? Is it information or is it revelation? The two are not the same. Um, The two are not the same. Um, You see, politics is established on the transfer of information. It's the transfer of information. Uh, You don't actually have to bear the real substance of the conversation. You just have to know how to transfer information better than your opponents or the other selected candidates that may be included in the conversation that you're having. You just have to be able to wield information well. But Jesus is not interested in the wielding of information. He says, did others tell, tell you about me? Or is this coming from another source? Right? When Jesus stands before Peter and he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, for thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. He applauds it and he says, flesh and blood could not have revealed this to you. This came from a heavenly source. He said, but my father has shown you something that flesh and blood could not manipulate. It could not manufacture. He said, you have ownership of a revelation in your life because it's been birthed by my father's desires through the power of the spirit. You've seen something. It's become illuminated. You've been unveiled to a beautiful reality that at some point could seem like a mystery. And Pilate asks him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus is trying to figure out what is sourcing this. Where is this coming from? And he says, Pilate answered, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests delivered you to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered him. Uh, If you highlight in your Bible or if you underline things, this would be a good part. Verse 36. 
My kingdom is not of this world. Man. My kingdom is not of this world. Um, I know that there is a lot of teaching that goes out that says the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God. We understand that. We believe that. We amen those things. We celebrate them. We are excited about them. Um, But we must also receive insight about them that there is a particular time in which that is going to be manifested in its fullness. There is a time coming. Jesus has called it that great day of the Lord. Prophets prophesied. Jesus even himself spoke into a day concerning the end of the age in which the Son of Man would be released in order for his return. And he would come appearing in the sky, riding upon the clouds, glory, authority, a host, a myriad of angelic hosts alongside of him. When he would return to recompense and to reward, he reveals this after the invitation into the gospel towards the end portion of Matthew chapter 16. For what would it profit a man to gain the whole world, but yet to forfeit his soul? We understand that there's a moment coming. The climax, the consummation of the age, that time that we would consider to be the end of this era where time on this side will come to an end and we will together, those of us that have anchored our trust, our dependency, have clinged our faith into this beautiful man, Jesus as king, living in covenant loyalty to him, we together, if we've gone into the grave, then we will face a Daniel 12 type situation where the last verse in Daniel chapter 12 says, be faithful until the end for you are going to die. But God is going to be faithful to you and he is going to raise you from the dead and you will enter into your reward at the end of the age. We have considered Daniel extensively within the past 12 months. And we understand that Daniel was tethered to a hostile culture. That was his moment in order to be faithful to the Lord. That was the time that he was given to be alive. Second Corinthians 5, there's a moment coming when all of us will face that great judgment seat of Christ and our life will be weighed according to the deeds that we had time to do while we were living in this flesh, this earthly tent, in which Paul says earlier in that very chapter that we are groaning. There is a longing on the inside of this earthly fleshly tent because we realize that this life The immediate bubble of this life is not all that there is, but that there's a groan that has been deposited on the inside because we bear God's spirit and we recognize that there is much more on the other side that will be available to you and to me after our final breath on this side. And Daniel was anchored in a hostile culture. That was his moment. That was the time that God gave him to be alive. And he served under Nebuchadnezzar. He served under Belshazzar. He served under Darius. He served under Cyrus. Daniel had an extensive amount of time in hostility where his life was being refined and proved 
through his faithfulness and his loving obedience and the devotion to Jesus as king. Um, But we don't get Daniel's moment. We have our moment. And this is our moment. We don't have another time period in order to weigh our lives against those that we read about in order to consider what our life would have looked like if we were bound to the context that others had. We don't get to determine what we would have done, who we would have been if we lived in the days of Nero when they were chasing down Christians, breaking into their homes, jailing them, impaling them, riding them around on poles throughout the city lit to fire as torches, feeding Christians to beasts in the auditoriums uh, for public sport and to be made a public spectacle. We don't have that context in order to consider who we would have been. This is the moment that God has given us. This is our day. This is our time. And we have to be faithful with it. And Jesus picked a specific time in order to be revealed. We understand it to be the fullness of time. That's what Paul says, at least in Galatians 4.4. In the fullness of time, Jesus came, born of a virgin, entering in through the womb of a woman. In the fullness of time, he came as an offering, as a sacrifice. So Jesus had his moment. And in his moment, there is much to be understood, not just about him, but also about his way. Because I find a lot of people that say that they are connected to him, but yet somehow they do not bear his way upon their life. Because there is a huge difference between being right and being righteous. And in the consideration of this trial that we have, where again, it would seem to be Jesus that is on trial, but it is actually Pilate that is on trial. And Pilate is on trial a representative of the system of the world, the ways of the world, the construction of power through manipulation, through rhetoric and language, through platform and title. Pilate is actually the one that is being tried and the king has taken his rightful place for he is the suffering servant. And it is not just an answer to a moment, but it is his way because it is his nature He bears it for all eternity. He is the one who willingly, joyfully lays his life down in surrender to the desires of his father. Because he wouldn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. He emptied himself. He laid it all down. Isaiah 52, 53, the suffering servant, the great prophecy tells us, like a lamb led before the shears, he was silent. He did not say a word. He chose not to open his mouth. In the moment when he's being questioned, in the moment of interrogation, when the system of the world is trying to pin him down in its conversation in order to make him prove himself that he is right, he chooses to be righteous. Because if he proves that he's right, he compromises the way. (laughs) Because if he chooses to speak, then Pilate must let him go. But being let go is not the design that has been considered for the moment. And what is being required of him is to be processed through the 
hostility of this system so that through his love and his willingness to underpower it rather than overpower it, he might be able to conquer it through the offering of his own life. Choosing to lower himself into death rather than exalt himself through the flexing of his own means unto deity. Rather than engaging it on their terms, he chooses his own terms. And he would rather be crushed so that he can underpower rather than flex on them so that he can overpower them. Um, Because he's not coming to wage war by earthly means. For the weapons that we've been given They're not carnal. They're not fleshly. Um, We don't entertain nor engage the same weapons the way that the world does because their fight is not our fight. But we have been given weapons and those weapons, they're divine by design, even to the bringing down and the demolishing of strongholds. And Jesus is standing before Pilate, but it is Pilate that is standing before him and he is unaware of it. Um, much as we are most of the time, whenever we are being tested and tried, according to the system that we have chosen to link our life to, the way that we have desired. Therefore, Pilate says to him, well, let's continue with verse 36 because we didn't finish it all the way. Jesus answered him, my kingdom's not of this world. Um, I think some of us need to hear that afresh. My kingdom is not of this world. It doesn't mean that the kingdom of God is not presently advancing in the world. That's not what Jesus said. He said, my kingdom and the origin of my kingdom. It's not birthed from a fleshly place. It's not bound to a place of wickedness and darkness. It is not tethered to the tyranny of the corruption of the spirit of the age and powers and principalities. My kingdom is not of this world. It is of another place. It is sourced or fueled by another place, but it is currently operating from within the world. For the king is here and the king has come to sow his seed into the soil of this world that he might conquer or overcome this world. Fear not, for I have overcome this world. And now I've put my joy in you because I am the first fruits, the firstborn from the dead, that I might be preeminent in all things, including the conversation of those that have gone into the grave and have become alive on the other side, raised to be glorified, exalted and ascended forever. I am preeminent and I am here. But my kingdom is not of this world. And he says, if my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Listen to what he says. If my kingdom was of this world, then my servants would engage in the fight that belongs to this world. If my kingdom was of this world, if its origin, if my servants were being fueled by a source that was anchored to this life, to this age, to this realm, to this side of life as you know it and as you are interacting with it, then the byproduct 
of said statement would be that my servants would enter into hostility and activity and that would look like a fight for dominance in this life. Well, I don't really like the way that sounds. Um, and I shouldn't like the way that that sounds if my life has entered into and become entangled with all of the fighting, all of the hostile activity, all of the seeking in order to overpower through politics, platform, privilege, manipulation, through all of the conversations that are associated with the situation that we have unfolding right here before us between Jesus and Pilate. Jesus says there is a way that is prevalent to this world. There is a demonstration of what it is when it looks like those who are trying to win. And he says, if my servants, if those that belong to me, that were a part of my kingdom, if my kingdom was a part of this world, then my servants would be fighting. Um, we don't have to look very far to realize that there is a bunch of fighting that is going on. Um, there, there's a bunch of hostility that is being engaged. Um, and, and some of it even under the banner or the guise of righteousness. Some of it, even under the guise, um, it wears the mask well, that it would be considered the way that Jesus would be behaving if he was here. Um, right? We even uh, have seen different ones talking about uh, the, the what would Jesus do? What would he do? What would he be saying? Who would he align himself with? Whose comments would he like? Whose pages would he be following? Who would he be endorsing? What crowds would he be involving himself with? What marches would he be a part of? What would he actually be doing? Here we have an unveiling of what he would be doing when he's finding his life, his way, tried by the system of the world. And he's standing up into it. And he says, my kingdom is not of this world because if it were, my servants would be fighting right now. And therefore Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say correctly that I'm a king. For this I have been born. And for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? What is truth? For Pilate, there was no truth that was absolute that governed the rest of life's experience. For Pilate, truth was relative according to the benefits that were being presented with a specific argument or conversation. There was a case that was created against Jesus that was manipulatively brought before Pilate and then he was coerced by his own system to be put into a place where he had to respond in order to preserve the things that were most sacred to him which was his own platform it was his own power it was his own prestige and because he was unwilling to separate from these things we find him being counted guilty on trial before the Lord um, because when we look into chapter 19, 
Um, it tells us, Pilate then took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. Now, this is after Pilate has gone out and told them publicly and plainly, I find no guilt in this man. I find him to be completely innocent. But because of the rising voice of the mob, because of the pressure of the crowd, Pilate buckles to the way of the system that his life is anchored into. He already realizes this man is innocent. He already understands the terms of engagement and the potential penalty if he follows this all the way through. He has publicly, plainly said to them, I find no guilt in him. He is innocent. He should be freed. But because of the voice of the mob, Pilate buckles. Do you remember when Saul did what he knew he wasn't supposed to? And Samuel came. And Samuel tries Saul. He says, why did you do what you knew you weren't supposed to? Do you remember what Samuel said? He said, why did you do it? He's after the motivation. Why did you? Not just what did you. He understood the what. But the what was being sourced. It was being motivated. And Saul replies to him. And he says, the crowd was pressuring me. And I had to do something to respond to them, to give them what they wanted. Here's a sad moment. Pilate gives the crowd what they want. And they began to come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews. And to give him slaps in the face, this is Jesus. And Pilate came out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. And Jesus then came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Man, they're mocking him in his majesty. They're presenting him as the king that they're about to crucify, but they're ridiculing him and it's all a game to them. But what they don't understand is that their own worldly carnal presentation for him and of him, um, there is one day coming when it will be eclipsed by the way that his father will present him. And those that were present in the moment of this nonsense, they will appear before him. And though they did not decide to bow to him then, there is coming a moment when all creation will bow. And behold the man, because Jesus then came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, behold the man. And so when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out saying, crucify, crucify. And Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. And the Jews answered him and said, we have a law. And by that law, he ought to die because he made himself out to be the son of God. And we get down to the point where, well, we'll just continue reading it. Therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. Afraid of what? Afraid of losing in his politics. Afraid of losing his platform. Afraid of losing his power and his prestige. And he entered into the praetorium again and said to Jesus, where are you from? 
But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You don't speak to me? Don't you know that I have authority to release you and I also have authority to crucify you? Here's the crucible for which system you're going to choose to align your life with. Here's the crucible. Whenever you are faced with the decision, because Pilate tells him, you do realize that in this equation, I'm the one that has power over you to determine your fate. You do understand that if you don't do what I'm asking or what I desire of you, that I am the one who ultimately is going to determine whether you are released or whether you're put to death. You are going to have to bow to my power. You are going to have to submit yourself to my authority. You are going to have to yield to the position that I have in this life that is ultimately according to my own lens. Because again, Truth is relative. It is not absolute. It is relative to the situation. It is relative to the conversation. And in this situation and this conversation, Pilate is unveiling to Jesus what it is that he thinks he believes. And it's if you don't do what I want you to do, I'm the one that has the power to crucify you. And Jesus says, you would have zero authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. And as a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him, but the Jews cried out saying, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. And everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. And then when Pilate heard these words, again, gripped with fear because of the rising voice of the mob, he did what they wanted. Um, I feel like in these days, we have to consider the different matters of provision that we are fighting for. Um, what, what do I mean by matters of provision? There are certain things that we are fighting hard for. Um, and in certain cases, I feel like we need to back it all the way up to make the determination if it's something that we should even be fighting for. Um, but if that can't be easily discerned, there are many that are fighting. And they're fighting in order for matters of provision. They're fighting for outcomes. They're fighting for determinations. Um, they're fighting for their actions in order to bring about the execution of certain desires. There is a motivation that has filled different crowds and conversations and everyone is leaning hard in these days looking for something to be done. But I feel like we have to ask ourselves the question, if we get the outcome that we desire, does it make us right? Um, is every provisionary means that you desire something that you can say is from the Lord? You see, we, we have looked into the moment where Jesus is standing before Pilate. But if we back it all the way up to Matthew chapter 4, we find that Jesus has actually found himself in many interesting moments. 
And out in the wilderness, Jesus is standing before the devil. And he's out there to be tested, to be tempted, to be tried once again. And in the initial confrontation, the enemy comes to him and says, If you are the Son of God, then turn these stones into bread. Now we realize that this is on the backside of fasting for 40 days. Because the scripture tells us that. The scripture tells us. And after he had fasted 40 days, he was hungry. There was a need. There was a hunger on the inside of him. There was a fleshly craving or a longing. There was a desire to be satisfied. And it's interesting that what the enemy wants to manipulate is something that he feels he needs in the moment. And he says, if you are the son of God, then turn these stones into bread. And Jesus responds to him by saying, he's actually quoting the word. All right, we back it all the way up. We understand the, the children of Israel in the wilderness. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the father. But what is he actually saying? Well, I know one of the things that he's saying. One of the things that he's saying is I understand that I can satisfy this hunger. I understand that I have the power in order to provide for myself in this moment. But I'll compromise the way that my father has desired. And so every matter of provision does not mean that it's my father that's providing for me. Every means of provision does not mean that it's my father that's the one that's actually providing for me. And so in our situation, in the moment that we find ourselves, there are many that are fighting in order for provisionary means to be established. And there are many that feel like they are right. There are many that desire power in the conversation. There are many that are longing in order for their way to be established. But in the end all of it all, we have to ask ourselves the question, if you get what it is that you are after, does it mean that it has come by righteous provision? Or does it mean that you have actually and only found a way through power and manipulation, found a way to seize what it is that seems right. Because here in the situation, Jesus is hungry. We know that. He's hungry. Um, it's interesting to me because yesterday uh, we find a celebration of a man who was determined to be a prophet in his day, and that is Martin Luther King Jr. Um, a man who confronted the powers of the air in his moment to be alive. A man who resisted the hostility of the spirit of the age. We are most recognized with him for his actions during the civil rights movement. Um, the tyranny of the spirit of the air. The wielding of the spirit of the age. And the embodiment of that sin through racism. Um, and an ideology which is still alive. In this moment in our generation, whether or not you want to admit that really doesn't matter. Um, you can find different places 
as you canvas this country today, not decades ago, not 60, 70 years ago, but today you are going to be able to find cities where racism as real as it has ever been is alive, it is well, it is thriving, it is celebrated. Um, it has been signed off on, it has been heavily endorsed, and there does not seem to be a bending or breaking from that way because the embodiment of said ideology um, is something that has been considered and it has been embraced. Um, but Martin Luther King Jr. was a man who chose to confront the powers of the air in our nation. Um, and he is a man that is celebrated and rightfully so. But what is interesting is that in the day that he was alive, and you, you probably already know this, I, I'm sure, but in the day that he was alive, he was on the FBI's watch list for being considered one of the most dangerous men in America because of the influence that he bore upon his life. Because of the power that rested upon him to swing or to sway or to shift culture and to rally great numbers of people towards the righteous cause that he felt the Lord had him to undertake in his moment to be alive. For he said, I have a dream and I have been to the mountaintop. I have seen it. But he was not a proponent of violence. He was not one that promoted hostility. That was not his way. For he understood that that way belonged to the world. But that there was a righteous way that he had been called to. And it was to suffer for the cause because of the vision that he had been gripped with. Yes, he had a dream, but the dream did not belong to him. He had a dream, but the dream had him. And the dream belonged to the Lord. For what he saw on the mountaintop, yes, was a promised land. But the way to get there was not in order to wield the weapons of this world. Uh, and we just have to sit down somewhere and consider what are we actually doing and what way are we fighting for what we believe it is that the Lord has said. Jesus finds himself standing before the enemy and the enemy says, if you are who you say you are, um, then compromise the way. Right? Compromise the way. Ultimately, th this is what must be considered. You have the power to turn these stones into bread and to satisfy the craving of your fleshly man. Um, let me just encourage you. Everything that you are doing to satisfy the craving of your fleshly man, the carnal side, even though it feels right, even though it satisfies even though it scratches the itch, even though it seems to provide for you, um, even though it seems to give you the outcome, even though it seems to reconcile that desperation that you might feel in your humanity, not every way that you satisfy that is going to be sourced by God's way. Not every way that you satisfy that is going to be sourced by God's way. For if my servants... Right? These are Jesus's words. This isn't my own interpretation. This is Jesus's words. For if my servants were a part of a kingdom that belonged to this world, then they would be fighting. And they would be fighting to overpower 
for the sake of righteousness. But that's not what we've been called to. We haven't been called to overpower the world for the sake of righteousness. We've been called to underpower by laying our lives down, by living as living sacrifices, by bearing the cross and not just clinging to the cross so that we can wield it in all of our marches, so that we can exalt it in all of our mobbings, so that we can raise it high, so that our movement can be branded the right way. No, 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 that is not the way that Jesus is talking about. But the embrace of the cross should always bring us to a more beautiful surrender where we are willing to lay our lives down in love for the world around us. Yes, even when they seem to be crucifying us because they do not understand that his kingdom that our lives are now a part of does not belong to this world. That is the way. That is the way. That is the way. And Jesus is presented with a way that does not bear the cross and he rejects it even if it seems to be a way that would establish the provision that he desires. Even if it provides the breakthrough, the necessary means into the outcome that he is craving, that his fleshly side, that his humanity side is longing for and looking to see established, if it does not bear the cross, then he has nothing to do with it. Um, And what we see in our day, we see a lot of arrogance. We see a lot of entitlement. We see a lot of wielding of power and politics We see a lot of wielding of financial motivations and a lot of narratives that are being created through agenda-driven conversations. We see a lot of this, but that conversation belongs to the world and that is the way that the world operates and it's the way that the world fights. But Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. For if it were, then my servants would be fighting. Um, I think you would have to ask yourself um, if you've been fighting, by what spirit it is are you bearing? Um, because when you bear the spirit of the world, you're going to fight the way that the world fights. Um, and yeah, I get it. You may have enough influence to jump on social media and completely destroy other folks. Um, you may have large enough of a following in order to criticize, um, in order to ridicule, in order to chastise and cast down, in order to reject and to cancel, and in order to you know rally great numbers of folks alongside of your cause. But at the end of the day, I'm not asking you if your cause is succeeding. I'm asking you what spirit are you bearing? Because Jesus chooses the cross over and against immediate provision. He chooses the cross over and against immediate provision. Immediate provision is not always Something that reveals that God has aligned himself to the outcome that is being established. Turn these stones into bread. Have it your way. Get the answer that you want. Satisfy yourself. Take care of that hunger that is on you and in you. And I understand this doesn't necessarily... Um, It doesn't necessarily weave itself 
into all of the cultural scenarios that right now seem to be uh, like volcanic eruptions aligning all at the same time. But what way are you after? What way are you after? If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would fight. Are you really supposed to be fighting the way that you suggest you are? In the conversation of all this politics stuff, are you supposed to be fighting the way that you say you are? In the conversation of all these racial tensions, are you supposed to be fighting? Now, that would seem to be counter of a question because I brought up Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King was not out in the streets kicking in windows and doors, burning cities down until he got his way. He wasn't looting, robbing, rioting. This was not the way. Study his life. This was not the way. I feel as if we are in a moment where the crucible has fallen upon all of our lives. And the crucible is bringing us where we are, whether we are communicating it or whether the actions of our life are communicating it one way or another. Our life is communicating the way that we have chosen to align ourselves with. But Jesus is the king who has come to lay his life down. And because he has chosen to lay it down, he has been exalted to the highest place. And now as we are followers of his, of his first and foremost, we are believers. Um, We are believers before we're Americans. We are believers before an aligning or an affiliating with a political party. Um, We are believers before the consideration of the luxury, the entitlements, Um, all of these types of things. Um, We are believers because we are planted here in this nation to live on mission for the king that we are supposed to be representing. And his way is a way that bears the cross. And through loving obedience to him, we are laying our lives down to bring the announcement of the gospel to a nation that is filled with corruption that is uh, going to one day come to an end because it is chosen to align itself with a way that belongs to the world and this age is going to climax and it is going to reveal it is going to reveal in that great day that Jesus is king and he is exalted above all things he is exalted above this nation he is exalted above every nation he is exalted above every ruler every politician every president every king every prince every governor every mayor every King, every Lord, he will be exalted above and that will be revealed the way that it has been made real right now. It will be revealed in that day. But until that day, we are here to lay our lives down through the announcement of the gospel that this world is perishing and all of its ways are perishing with it. And while there is still time, you can repent of your sins and your embrace of this world and its ways. And you can anchor yourself 
into this beautiful man, Jesus, as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And you can choose to align your life with his kingdom and the way that it is advancing towards the end of this age. The kingdoms of this world, they will become the kingdoms of our God. But it is in the moment where the Son of Man returns. We are not to try and overpower the systems of this world in order to prove our righteousness. Our righteousness is proved as we embrace the cross and we lovingly lay our lives down as sacrifices like the lamb that was slain. He is the pattern. He is the blueprint. And we too, through loving obedience to this wonderful king, have chosen this way to lay our lives down in loving obedience to him as living sacrifices. If my kingdom was of this world, then my servants would fight. Um, I feel that it's time. It's been time. (laughs) It is way past time for an evaluation. Do we just want to be right? Or do we actually want his righteous way? Because the two are not the same. You can just be right in ways that are not righteous at all. And the end does not justify the means. The end does not justify the means. Because the means and the end both have to bear his way. And if you are who you say you are, then make provision for yourself. Um, Not every way that you can provide for yourself means that God is providing for you and has aligned himself to the outcome that you so jealously desire. In certain instances, maybe it's not for us to determine what stones are supposed to become bread, what we're supposed to feed on, how we're supposed to satisfy ourselves in an immediate way. Maybe there are times where we're supposed to go hungry in this life in order to be satisfied by his righteousness. For blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. But when we are filling ourselves on the ways of the world by engaging the weapons that they wield in order to find our lives jockeying for power and position so that we can achieve the outcomes that we desire, is it really his way? Because there will be moments when he calls us to go hungry, recognizing that things are wrong realizing that the whole system is broken with a full-on understanding that in this moment we are not supposed to turn these stones into bread and that there's a dissatisfaction with the corruption of the entire system but we realize that there is coming a moment when our king will come and he will judge the whole system and he will make right everything that we chose to wrestle with even though we knew it was wrong. Man, there's coming a moment when the king will come and it will be up to him to judge powers and principalities. It will be left to him in order to eternally evict the spirit of the age 
powers, principalities, authorities, high places in governance and darkness. It will be left for him. Paul said, when I was in Ephesus, I wrestled with wild beasts. Man, sometimes this is what we're called to. Sometimes we're called to wrestle and to go hungry. Sometimes we're called to be dissatisfied with the corruption of the system, but to continually lay our lives down as living sacrifices in an obedient offering unto the ultimate authority. Not just to be satisfied because we can convince Pilate. Not just to be satisfied because we can align ourselves with the system of the age in order to immediately seem to get the decisions that we longed for. In order to rectify the longing and the craving that's on the inside. This is not at times what we're called to, but it's to go hungry. Turn these stones into bread. No, because I won't do it your way. I won't fight your way. I won't make provision your way. Because my king's kingdom is not of this world. And he's not just a what, but he bears a way. But through the loving embrace of the cross and the radical crucifixion of self, I have found power and life. And this power and life is a light unto the nations of the world because it reveals that God is not like us. He is very other than the humanity that is bound by corruption. But this power and this life, it has become a light unto the nations of the world. And this is the announcement of that great gospel that we herald until the end of the age. The gospel of the kingdom gives us hope. The gospel of the kingdom gives us hope. Not a political party. Not a political candidate. Not a person that occupies a platform or a position. Not even a specific skin color. Not an economic status. Not a tear in all of our sociology, if you would. It's the gospel of the kingdom. Because the gospel of the kingdom presents to us that this king that will reconcile everything that is wrong, he's coming again. And we've chosen to align our lives with him and his way. Because we are living not for a reward that is immediate, but for a reward that is set against that great day. Because until then, there is much that is going to be considered wrong. But he is going to reward us for the way that we lived right in the midst of what was wrong. And he will reward us by making all things right on that great day. Judging all of what we knew was wrong. But we chose to bear his cross and to lay our lives down. Um, I would encourage you um, in this day to separate yourself from every other voice and every other place of influence and to get face to face with this king and to look deeply into his face and to long 
to hear his voice. Because let's look at it one more time. Jesus says, everyone who is of the truth, hears my voice. Um, it is very possible to be deceived and to align yourself with a voice who is saying what you want to be hearing and to endorse that as the way because it seems to give you what it is that you want most in the moment. But Jesus says, everyone who hears my voice, they are the ones that are really of the truth. And truth is true, even if it's saying what you would rather not be hearing. Truth is true, even if it's saying what you don't want to be hearing. And everyone who is of the truth are those that hear his voice. Um, again, as we started, I believe that we are living in a moment of radical deception. And we have to be very careful. The voices that we're listening to, the way that they are prescribing, and ultimately the actions that they are endorsing in order to authorize the outcomes that they are longing for. Um, just because it may seem right does not mean that it is righteous. And just because it may seem to give you what you want doesn't mean that it's actually being sourced by God himself. Um, you may find ways into provision that are not coming from the provider himself. Um, because his kingdom is not of this world. And worldly warfare is never going to source righteous conclusions. Um, but we have been given weapons. And they're divine. Man, these are days to fast and pray. These are days to come to the mirror of the scriptures and to honestly be unveiled before God by the power of his spirit and to allow him to get right and make right whatever may not be right on the inside of you right now because of your love for the world that has caused you to align with the warfare of its ways. It is time to reject power, politics, platform. It is time to reject ultimately in the way that our hearts need to be fed by it. Um, because Jesus would not turn stones into bread in order to feed himself because it was a crucible that did not include the cross. And he was more concerned with being righteous than just doing what seemed right in any given moment to feed himself. Um, these are days to be unveiled before God and to allow the power of the Holy Ghost to penetrate and infiltrate and ultimately transform anything about us that is resisting and rejecting a way that prescribes the cross as life and power for the servants of God to be faithful to him. This is our way. This is God's prescription to the woes of the age. Bear the cross. Behold my son. 
become like me. Lay your life down as a loving offering because of the way that you believe in this gospel that you have anchored your life into the announcement of. These are days to fast and pray. Um, Because, again, and I don't say this to sound comical because um, I believe it with all of my heart. Regardless of who gets inaugurated tomorrow, the plan for me is not changing. The plan for me is not changing. It doesn't matter to me. Um, it, It matters because of the way that we are going to live out the plan. That is the only reason that it matters. Because the touch, the feel, the way that we may be called to execute that plan and the consequences of whoever that may be and how that plan is going to have to get lived out, that is the only way that it matters. But it does not matter to me who it actually ends up becoming. And that's not to say, because I'm saying it that way, that I am aligning with all of these different theories and conspiracies. Um, I, I don't really give a rip, to be honest. Um, it can be Biden. It could be Barney Fife. Um, it could be Ronald McDonald. It could be Fozzie Bear. Um, it could be Kermit the Frog. It doesn't matter. It could be Trump again. Uh, it, it could be whoever. The plan is the plan. Um, and we have to have a real consideration of what the plan is and the way that we have been called to execute that plan because the way is not changing regardless of the immediate desires that we may be gripped with. Bear the cross. Love Jesus. Honor him with an excellent yes and be willing to give your life for it. This is what faithfulness looks like until our moment comes to an end. And that is what we will be judged by when we stand before that glorious throne for the deeds that we had time to do while we were in this fleshly tent. We groan, we ache. We weep, we fast. We bear the cross. We love him well. This is the plan. Um, And I pray that we would find our lives aligning with the plan. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We pray that it has fanned into flame the love that you have for him. If you would like more information about Burning Ones, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on social media, visit our website, burningones.org, or download our app.